Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Hey, if you're a regular listener, I hope by now you do believe that it's possible to enjoy your work. You know, I do get that question still frequently when people say, is it really possible? Are you just, uh, you know, creating an unrealistic picture here? Did a workshop not too long ago, just a preview to the 48 Days Seminar at a local church and had a lady come up afterward and she said, you know, hey, what if I go through the seminar just because my goal is to find work that I don't hate? I said, so you really don't believe that it's possible to find work that you love, work that you enjoy, work that's fulfilling and purposeful. And she said, well, no, you know what the reality is out here. I mean, nobody's going to find that. We just have to do something that we don't hate. And I said, well, if that's really is your belief, then I would suggest you don't waste your time going through the workshop. Because with that kind of a clouded view, you're probably going to end up with what you expect, which is another principle. Anyway, um, on to better and bigger things. Hey, we got a lot of questions to cover today. I want to remind you of some of the upcoming events that we're doing here at the sanctuary. Getting close to a couple again, which is always exciting. We got a coaching with excellence event coming up here the September eighth and ninth. So that's coming up pretty quick. Or September ninth and tenth. Jeez, I got the dates wrong already. September ninth and tenth. We're doing that one, then a right to the bank. That one's going to be September 23rd and 24th. So in the next few weeks here, we've got two of our major events. If you're interested in coaching and turning that into an income stream for you, we're going to show you not just how to coach. I mean, that uh, we expect you to get in other ways, but it's how to take coaching and turn it into a real business because we find that a lot of people have coaching credentials. They really do an excellent job of coaching once they are face-to-face with somebody. But the average income, well, the in- income for 80% of people who call themselves coaches in America is less than $10,000 a year. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Um, so we show you how to take coaching skills and turn that into significant income. If you want to make $100,000, there's no reason you can't do that with coaching, but you need to approach it as a business uh, and not just as a little sideline hobby. If you want to leave a comment or a question, we got kind of a new link. My web people are pushing me to take people to a new place. I used to always say, just shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. And what happens, frankly, is that I get emails that are two and three pages long that we really just can't include. So there's kind of a forced shortness if you go to 48days.com forward slash listen. That takes you right to the podcast site. And there you can leave a question, and it's formatted so it's likely to pop up on my radar screen and be included as part of the show here. 48days.com forward slash listen. Well, let's go to some of the questions that I've got here right now. Let me go to one from Vince, who says, Dan, I'm looking for a career change, and I've been for some time. I purchased the 48 Days Kindle version. Love the book. At the end of the book, you talk about starting your own business. I've thought about this for some time, but I've never reacted to it. I was wondering if you have any information on the success rate of this business. The business is a mobile oil and lube service. Do you have any information on success or failures of this business? Well, Vince, we could go through, and there's a whole lot of successes, and there's a whole lot of failures. 
And it doesn't have as much to do with the business itself as it does with how you position yourself to run the business. Now, I did a quick search, and there's a whole lot of information out there about mobile oil change businesses. And you can get a business opportunity, which means that you simply purchase kind of a prototype. So you're purchasing information about how to do it. There are franchises. That's different. Franchises are heavily regulated by the U.S. government, and so you're going to get information that is pretty well documented. They have to tell you, you know, what the success rate is of their franchisees, give you names of people that you can talk to. Of course, the investment is going to be pretty significant with that, but you get a pretty well-proven track to run on if you get a franchise. There's also a site, and there was one that came up really quickly. You'll find it if you put in mobile oil change business, and they are selling just a business plan on how to start a mobile oil business and have a lot of testimonials on there about people who did that. And I would start there. It's like $59 for their business plan and a detailed outline of how to start a a mobile oil change business. I'd start there because, frankly, with that, there's not really a lot of recognizable names, franchise names. I mean, now, if we... You want to start a hamburger joint, and if we call it Vince and Dan's Hamburgers, you know, nobody's going to recognize it. But if we get a McDonald's or a Wendy's or Burger King franchise, people recognize the name, and there's a lot of power in that and a lot of value in that. In the mobile oil change business, we don't have that. There's not recognizable names. So you're going to have to build your own reputation regardless, and in that sense, it makes it less valuable to have a franchise. So you may be able to spend 59 bucks on getting information as to how to do it and just go out and start doing it because ultimately your success is going to come down to you being able to create a plan, see your business come alive on paper and then get out here and generate customers. But if you got into half a dozen uh, commercial office buildings where you established your name there, you would probably have enough business to keep you busy period without doing any other kind of advertising Just simply keeping in contact with people in those office buildings, I mean, depending on the size of the office complex, it could be one where you would do nothing but just rotate through customers. Now, I like the business idea because it is something that is repetitive. It's not something that people purchase once and that's it. No, they do it once. You can give them a little reminder, shoot them an email, put a note on their windshield if you're working the parking lot, say, hey, I think it's time for another oil change. I mean, you can build a real solid customer base in doing that. I like the concept a lot. So I would encourage you, yeah, go ahead and explore that. Stephanie says, and I'm going to condense this a little bit. She says, I'm a woman with a very take charge personality who enjoys exercising power and authority, communicates boldly, directly, very determined, extremely competitive. I feel that I've been equipped with a personality to lead. My disc in all three graphs is a strong D, And my core private self has a D off the chart. I have a moderate C analytical uh, element as well, apparently completely covering this up in my public self. Now, this lady is a primary care physician. So she's a doctor, says she's great at giving advice to her patient peers, increasingly her supervisors. In less than two years, she's been promoted to a significant leadership position, but I'm not feeling free enough to fully engage my skills and talents. Additionally, I feel I have to dial back who I am to smoothly operate, who I am to smoothly operate in my current environment, therefore feel my health is suffering. 
Uh, she's gaining weight, not being true to herself. Now, the question is, you know, how can she use those things? And she says, help, you're a strong thinker from one eagle to another. I really need a bit of advice for myself. Well, now there's some things that you, you talk about your S. Now, just to recap a little bit, the DISC personality categories, there's four, D, I, S, and C. D, where you say you are extremely high, is dominant, bold, daring, aggressive, assertive, high um, you know, high pressure, opinionated, and so on. We know that. I is influencing. Somebody who's social, gregarious, life of the party, cheerleader, outgoing, and so on. S is that steady, reliable, good listener, compassionate, patient, slow to change. That's low. So the I and the S are low. The C then, somebody who's detailed, analytical, is high. So it's clear, Stephanie, that you're very results-oriented. The D and the C are high, very results-oriented, want to go get it, you know, go kill something and drag it home, as Dave Ramsey would say. Now, obviously, that's, we don't want that to be the adage that you use when you're in a medical environment giving health care to people, but certainly the concept is true. Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to reduce direct patient contact because that is where you are forced to use the I and the S, the two that are low for you. So the best thing that you could do is find ways to use your skills of giving advice by doing that in a variety of ways that don't force you to have nose-to-nose, face-to-face contact with patients. Now, you can do that. I mean, you, you can do seminars. You can do audio products, instructional manuals, podcasts, blogs, a lot of the things that I do that are very one-directional. And you can move very quickly through those. You can create great systems to do those effectively. And so you can actually increase your center of influence by stepping out of the day-to-day hands-on delivery of your medical knowledge. And you can embrace your affinity for detail, those C characteristics, by developing clear and effective systems for expanding your personal business. Now, if you choose to stay, now those things that I described may sound like more of an entrepreneurial model, but I would suspect that you're a good candidate for that because you seem to resist the constraints of being in an environment where you have supervisors and a lot of other people to respond to. If you choose to stay in a more traditional medical environment, then uh, an R&D position, research and development position, is going to be a better fit. Let me let me just comment. You know, somebody actually asked about my personality style. Let me find that one real quick. Okay, this comes from Paul. I might as well deal with this right now. Paul says, I've heard you remark often about the DISC assessment. Clearly, personality match is important to finding work you love. I can't help but be curious. What is your personality type? Well, having just described what the DISNC is, I'll go ahead and tell you very clearly, I'm exactly like Stephanie, who just described herself. I'm extremely high D, off the scale D, dominant, bold, aggressive, opinionated, high pressure. That, And then I'm also, the only other one that comes above the midline is C, very detailed, analytical, you know, bottom line, give me the facts, Jack, don't bore me with all the other kind of information that you may want to share. So if I ask you what time it is, you can say 2.35 p.m. That's all I need. You don't need to tell me how a watch is made, like some people who are high in INS do. Now, that being said, how have I then arranged my work? I've done exactly what I just described Would be, my advice would be for Stephanie. I am a coach, but I coach about one day a month where I actually am in front of somebody coaching them personally. 
but I've expanded dramatically my ability to coach. I coach a lot of coaches. So I do a lot of teaching with other coaches, which is different. Very direct, bottom line to the point, this is what we need to accomplish. These are systems that will get you the level of success that you want. You know, very action-oriented. That's why even though my background academically is in clinical psychology, I am way too impatient and results-oriented to be an effective psychotherapist or counselor. That moves very slowly, where every half hour you say, "Uh uh-huh, because you're doing empathetic listening. That model does not fit me well. So I've done a lot of the things that I just described here. I produce, you know, I write lots of books, articles, content, podcasts, blogs, produce instructional manuals, all the things that I just described. That allows me to engage my desire to be a coach, but it allows me to go at my speed rather than waiting on a client to catch up. Now, clients can read, listen, study, and so on, and adapt and assimilate into their lives the content at a speed that fits them. But uh, I've developed my business in a way that fits me. A lot of people try to adapt themselves to what their job or position requires, and that's why we get so much burnout and fatigue and weight gain and back pain and migraine headaches and all those other wonderful things that are often just indicators of improperly being matched in the workplace. Well, here's another related question. Let me include this one now, too. Joanna asks, I'm an occupational therapist. I have 10 years of experience in pediatrics and specifically autism. I end up being a resource to a lot of people. How can I use this knowledge to help people but be compensated at the same time? How can I turn this knowledge into nonlinear income? And you can do much the same kind of things. If you want to create residual income and you are a specialist in pediatrics and autism, you you can leverage that nicely by doing workshops, seminars, audio products, instructional manuals, podcasts, blogs, CDs, the same kind of things that I just... uh, just described. Yeah, you can do that and knock it out of the park. Fernando says, please describe your request that I have. Oh, okay. Okay. I've got to slow down a little bit here. Obviously, this is written in somewhat broken English. I've been approached to join an organization called Business Network International, BNI. I wanted to know what Dan thought about it. Have you ever worked with them before? Would it be worth investing time and money? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm very familiar with BNI, Business Network International. I mean, the model is somewhat like the old Rotary model. Now, Rotary originally was designed, started by an attorney, and it was developed back when in the days when attorneys didn't have full full back pages of phone books and the, the TV ads that they run now that tend to be pretty obnoxious, but... It would be seen as very unprofessional for attorneys to advertise in that way several years ago even. So Rotary was designed as a networking organization for professionals where they would have one attorney, one dentist, one physician, one engineer, one accountant, and so on, where they would get together. But then by knowing each other and trusting each other, they would share business resources and referrals. That's really what BNI is as well. It's designed to have people from a variety of businesses and professions who get together and they can toot their own horn about what they do. The The goal being then that those people in the group refer, if you're an auto mechanic, they refer people who need auto mechanic services to you. Very legitimate business model and yes, certainly worth being involved in. 
Chamber of Commerce is going to be another similar kind of organization. But if you are in a business where you need local referrals, then by all means, get involved in a couple of those. And BNI would be a great example. Trucker Sue, Trucker Sue left me a couple very lengthy uh, phone messages. I'm going to condense it just for the sake of time here. But she is selling books online where she can go to yard sales, garage sales, see book titles, scan them in, check with an iPhone app, check immediately to see what they're selling for on Amazon and eBay, places like that. I mean, that's a, the power of technology is just amazing in this space to help you do it well. And if a book is selling consistently for eight or nine dollars on eBay and you see it at a garage sale for 50 cents, sure, it's a good thing to snag it. And she's wondering how to leverage that. She has some affiliate links up, has my book up there, other people's books up there, and wondering if she can really turn this into generating full-time income and get off the road as a trucker. I, I like your what you're doing, but I think you need to be realistic about being able to leverage what you're doing. I am not a fan of selling items online where you have one of that item. I think it takes too much time and effort to position that item where you just have one, even if you make five or six bucks when you're doing that. Now, there are people that I know that do exactly what you're talking about, that go out and buy books one of a kind, put them up. And now sometimes you'll find a rare book that may bring a hundred bucks on eBay when you paid a dollar for it at a garage sale. But those times are going to be few and far between. For the most part, what I want is if we go to the work to put a book up on, I want to know that we're going to sell two or 300 copies of that. So I, you never see one of a kind books up on my site. I only position books where we do have a stock of two or three hundred. And usually, you know, four or five hundred is going to be what I do. Now, I, I buy a lot of books out of liquidation and closeout. And you can do the same. I would encourage you to look at that, where you have a source for finding the same book repeatedly. And you can do that. I mean, there are books that are great books. I mean, I've had books with titles like Mompreneur. Moms who want to be primary caregivers over their kids but still want to create income. That was a great book, and it was easy to get out of liquidation. The book sold for, I think, fourteen ninety nine, and I could buy it for about $1.30, and we bought thousands of those. But we sold it for $8 on our site. So if I pay less than $2, let's say that with shipping I have about 2 bucks in it, we sell it for 8 that's $6. Now, that's not a great spread, but that's reasonable if I know that we may take in 30 orders for the book on the same day. Well, then I've got 30 times $6, so I've got $180 net profit there. I mean, I, I can live with that, but I don't really want to do that where I found one copy at a garage sale and put that on the Internet. Now I have $6, and then I have to redo the website to replace that book that I just sold. Or I have to contend with perhaps duplicate orders. Now on eBay, that's not going to be the case. But I think it's too much work to do one book at a time. So I encourage you to look for books where you can have a source for multiple copies. And then having done your research and knowing that they're going to sell well, absolutely. Then you can do what you're talking about and expand your business in that way. Well, Paul says, uh, Dan, perhaps this is as much fan mail as anything else. Uh, talks about they get excited. He gets excited talking about concepts that he hears from me talking with his buddies. And sometimes they want to just get in the car and head for Franklin. Well, I don't know where you're from, Paul, but that'd be that'd be cool. Feel free to swing by here. 
we'll go to lunch together. Now, he says, I've often wondered whether I'm cut out for coaching, knowing your thoughts about earning that right. I think I have the answer. I know a disabled U.S. Marine who recently wanted my opinion about accepting testing accommodations suggested to him as he returned to college. A couple days later, a friend called me to talk about sudden family crisis. Coworkers asked me how to handle anything from stress management, substance abuse, relationship issues, and what to do with their 401k when faced with job change. Your thoughts? Yep. I think you've done exactly what I ask when somebody says, Dan, can I be a coach? My My response is, are people asking you for their your advice and opinion now? If they are, then you can probably position yourself as a beginning coach and build and learn how to do that better. Incidentally, I mean, this is not a, a one-time thing. Sometimes people think, well, I'm given too much opportunity for people who don't have the academic credentials and training to be a coach to just jump in the field. Well, again, success is going to determine very quickly if, in fact, you are a credible coach. And also... If you have the opportunity to begin coaching, that is exactly what it is. It's a beginning. You should be spending an hour a day reading about coaching. Get your hands on anything that you can get a hold of that will help you become a better coach. We have a lot of resources that we hand out in the Coaching with Excellence seminar that we do here to help people do additional reading so they become better at coaching. So, it's not some easy way to just position yourself as a great coach and that's the end of the line, but no, this is a beginning process to then become better and better at coaching. So if you are having people asking you for your opinion, absolutely. If you want to be a coach, call yourself a coach, start the process of becoming excellent at what you do. Well, Paul also says you have often described your life in Tennessee, including among other things, your morning commute to the sanctuary. Sounds like heaven to me. I imagine that you have a nice combination of peaceful surroundings, perhaps solitude and interaction with others. What's the ideal balance for you? Well, you're right. My commute is walking out our front door and across the nature trail between my house and the sanctuary. It's about 300 yards. So it takes me about, well, I I actually dilly-dally. I don't try to just rush back here. I purposely take my time because I'm often... Uh, going to see deer or the groundhogs or baby raccoons. Recently saw a raccoon. I heard a little commotion back around our mulberry tree. And it's just the one in the in the wild, but we get a lot of mulberries from it. And the mulberries were plentiful right then. And I looked back there and I thought there was a cat there. And I looked a little closer and realized, no, that's a raccoon. Well, I stood still and watched. And sure enough, Five little baby raccoons started scurrying around once they knew there wasn't an imminent danger, started scurrying around, eating mulberries under my mulberry tree. Well, those are the kind of things I see in my morning commute. I don't hear horns honking. I don't come to any red lights. No angry drivers. Nobody flipping me off. I have the luxury of just strolling between my house and the sanctuary where I then start my day back here. And yes, it is very peaceful. And yes, I do have a lot of solitude. Having described my personality, giving that away a little bit ago, I love solitude. I don't require a lot of interaction. So I have a lot of solitude built into my weekly schedule. I have lunch appointments pretty much every day. So I break out of my cave to go have lunch. But for the most part, I do work in solitude. I don't have committee meetings. I don't serve on a lot of boards. I mean, I did those things years ago, but at this point, I have a lot of time built in. I mean, right now I have 12 
items on my writing list. These are book projects to be completed. Some of them are in process. Some of them will be started at the beginning, but I have 12. I mean, my goal next year is to turn out one product a month. Now, some of these will be ebooks, so they aren't full-length 240-page books. That would be unrealistic. And a lot of them I already have content for, like creating a second edition of the Rudder of the Day. The Rudder of the Day is a compilation of my newsletter and articles and blogs. So pulling that together is a matter of pulling it together and formatting it nicely, not a matter of writing new content. So I have lots and lots of content that I can pull together to create new products. But I actually do have as a goal to create one new product a month in the year 2011. So it it takes time to do that. Nonetheless, even though it's not starting from scratch, it takes significant amounts of time to do that. And that's what I do during the course of my day. That's my major focus is to create new content. Gerald says, Dan, I have an idea, an invention. Should I first spend the money to patent the idea? Or should I just go ahead and begin to develop the idea? If I need to patent it, where do I go? Well, that's a great question, and it really depends what kind of an idea that you have. Most ideas, when somebody says, I have an invention, it would fall under the category of what is called a design patent. So if you are going to produce a better lampshade, I'm sitting here looking at a lampshade, first thing that comes to mind That's going to be a design patent, not a mechanical or utility patent. If you're going to create, uh, if you're going to create the next Polaroid camera or frankly, even a new app for the iPhone, I mean, that would be a utility patent. That's different. And with that, you may want to explore some kind of a patent protection on that. But with most things, 99% of the ideas that I have brought to me, it really is going to lead to a design patent. And a design patent does not have a lot of protection value. My encouragement on that is, you know, just go ahead and develop it and market it. If you're going to create the next sunglasses for dogs, don't waste your time trying to get a patent on it. Just create a great name like Doggles and trademark a great name. You can trademark a great name this afternoon. It costs you about 350 bucks to do that internationally. Trademark a name, get the domain for that, and those are the major components that you're going to want to protect your idea. The domain name and a trademark on your name. Those carry more weight than a traditional patent is going to. Now, you can check. If you want to check your idea, you can certainly do that. Go to USPTO.gov, USPTO. Now, that's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. It used to be a very complicated procedure, and only attorneys could get in there to research and so on. Now, it's readily available online. You can jump on there with no cost at all, do a research for your particular idea, and you're going to see things that are closely related and see if there are patents on those. But now, having a patent doesn't mean squat. That doesn't mean it's going to put any money in your pocket. And a whole lot of people waste a lot of money. They'll waste five to $10,000 getting a patent and then be frustrated because they never recapture even that initial cost. So make sure that a patent is... Uh, I've got some material put together on that. Um, boy, it's going to be in the Expanded Opportunity Guide for the No More Mondays book. And the Opportunity Guide for No More Mondays is one of those 12 projects I just described. It's not completed, but it's probably 50% completed. And I do have in there how to 
how to unpack an idea and decide if, in fact, a patent is needed. Again, pretty difficult to convey all the issues right here real quickly, but I hope that helps a little bit. Marie, now this is just this is just a cool kind of sharing. I love to have these kind of stories shared as well. Marie from Virginia says, I'll be starting a business next month to travel to festivals as a vendor selling gourmet beverages such as sparkling pomegranate apple cider smoothies or vegan gingerbread lattes, depending on the season. Golly, I love it. Marie says, I was inspired by your kettle corn example in the 48 48- low-cost business ideas that we have as a free download on 48days.net. And I can't wait to start as I finish my time as a corporate accountant next week. I'm very excited. How cool. She's leaving a position as a corporate accountant and going to start traveling to festivals selling gourmet beverages. Man, I mean, the things that you describe sound mouthwatering just to hear the descriptions of them. Pomegranate Sparkling pomegranate apple cider. Man, sign me up for that. I I'm, I love apples in any form. I mean, I love applesauce with any kind of a meal you could put on the table. I love raw apples. I love apple juice. I have apple juice in my refrigerator back here at the sanctuary 365 days of the year. So that that one right there got me. You, you had me at apple cider. Well, Todd says, Dan, I've heard you say several times that reading three books on a topic can make you an expert or something to that effect. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have said that. I mean, that that really puts you above 98% of the people on the planet. If you read three books on a topic, you're going to know more about it than most anybody around. I'm very interested in, and I read a lot of information on what and how to eat in order to maintain good health and normal weight. I've also been reading up on what it takes to get people to change their lifestyles and maintain a healthy diet. Since many people will not make long-term changes, even when presented with correct principles. I have imagined the possibility of hosting small group seminars, maybe 10 to 20 people, to talk about weight loss and returning to health while creating an environment where change is likely. I do not have a medical or nutrition degree, but I believe I know enough to help people. Is this feasible or would my lack of concrete credentials present too much of a problem. Thanks, Todd from Oklahoma. Well, Todd, if you look look at the people who have created big names for themselves in the health and fitness weight loss business, um, Suzanne Summers. Now, does Suzanne Summers have a PhD in physiology or an MD or some degree in nutrition? I don't think so. I mean, I frankly don't know for sure, but I I think she's just a celebrity who happens to be interested in that particular thing. Now, without diminishing the value of those degrees, and I think those are important, there are a whole lot of people out here who are sharing information about how to lose weight. Now, for one thing, in terms of creating a niche for yourself in that arena, you've got a whole lot of competition I mean, that's one that I probably wouldn't go into because there's a whole lot of people who claim to be experts in that arena. Now, there are a whole lot of people who do have medical degrees and nutrition background, and there are more so than who do not, probably, who just have a story to share, and their story can be inspirational to other people. There's certainly nothing to stop you 
from doing that. I think it needs to be solid advice that you're giving people and something that is not going to harm them physically. And you need to have the endorsement of people who are medical professionals to really get a strong foothold. But certainly you can do what you're talking about get people together, do seminars. If you're going to attract people to seminars and you come up with some kind of an appealing name for your workshops and seminars, absolutely. You can go on and do that with class and with, uh, and enrich yourself dramatically in doing so. And a lot of people have, there's a couple that's real involved on 48 days.net and you can look them up there. You can go to 48 days.net. The name is, um, Phil and Celeste Davis. They've done pretty much what you talked about here. Now, their story is, and and I just got a copy of their new book. They have a book titled Wonderfully Well. Their their website is thewellnessworkshop.org, thewellnessworkshop.org. Phil and Celeste Davis, their story is they got married, they fell in love, and a few years later, they realized they had doubled their wedding weight. Now, think about that a little bit. He had weighed like 140 at marriage. She had weighed um, 120. Both of them had doubled their wedding weight. And all of a sudden, the red lights were flashing. They said, oh, my gosh, something is amiss here. That was a warning call to them, along with early stage diabetes and a whole lot of other maladies that come from being dramatically overweight and they went back to their original weight. I think they actually did go back to their original wedding weight in just a program that they put together themselves. I was so engaged in the story of what they were doing when I read their book, Wonderfully Well. Now they put together, they put a book together that they've done themselves. It's spiral bound. So it lays open. It's got a beautiful cover and back to it. So they had a great designer help them with that. It's got a lot of recipes in it. Now I didn't go through word by word, the recipes, but I was so engaged in the story that they talked about and some of the simple principles that I, in fact, am doing. I am right now in the middle of doing one of the things that they talked about. And that thing that they talked about was to drink water, and it's a very easy formula. One of the things that they did to drop that weight off was to drink half of their weight in ounces of water every day. So you can do the math on that. I happened to weigh, when I read their book, about 175. So I need to drink about 85 ounces of water daily. So that's pretty easy to figure out. I have in my desk here right now one of my empty two-liter bottles of Diet Mountain Dew, which is my drink of choice, but it's full of water this morning. So that's 64 ounces. So a two-liter, that's 64 ounces. So I need to drink that in its entirety and then about another half of one of those. That would actually be a little more, but that's about what I'm doing. So I now am doing, I am in day, this is day 10 of 14 days. I haven't shared this with anybody, but Joanne, I'm just doing it. It's interesting because it's not difficult to do, even though I've been at several, you know, dinner functions and parties and things like that. But nobody notices that I'm not eating everything in sight, which is easy to do, but I'm drinking enormous amounts of water. So I'm drinking half of my body weight in ounces of water every day. And then also during the 14 days, I'm eating nothing but just fruits and a few vegetables, but mainly just fruit. 
I really feel great. And also, it appears that I, no, I'm, I'm not a weight loss expert by any means. I mean, I, I really, and I don't get caught up in the latest fads. and I'm not grossly overweight and have struggled or anything like that. I've got great metabolism and, and feel great in general. But I was feeling a little sluggish. I was feeling like the edge was off of my energy. And so when I read Phil and Celeste's book and saw what they did, I thought, man, there's no reason I can't do that. I'm going to try it. So I'm doing 14 days of drinking the water and doing primarily just fruits. I really feel great. I wake up rested in the morning. I feel like I do have an an increase in energy. And it appears that I'm losing about half a pound a day in just what obviously I don't need as a little excess weight. So I think I'm going to get back down to my college days probably and wait even just during this first 14-day period of time. Now, I, I really didn't intend to share of what I'm doing personally here, but I think it's a, it's an example of what you're talking about doing. If you have a personal story like that, and if you can have some very easy to follow kind of principles where it's not real deep nutrition and you, you don't have to count calories and do lots of complicated kind of things. Yeah. There's a place to get out here and get involved in doing what you want to do, doing seminars and nutritional help and counseling. Now you, in terms of the degrees and things, I don't know what kind of credentials Phil and Celeste have, but I'm certainly not doing anything where I think that I'm putting myself in danger physically or I would need a medical opinion to do that. And frankly, medical opinions usually are just that. I mean, that's why they call it the practice of medicine, I think, because every doctor has a different opinion about whatever the situation is going to be anyway. So I I certainly take full responsibility personally for making decisions that may even be medical decisions ultimately. So, yeah, I think you can make a place for yourself. Go ahead and start. You have no risk. There's really no downside. If you propose a seminar or workshop, the real proof of the pudding is can you get people to register and come? You may want to invite a couple other experts in. When we do the writing conference, I invite other people in who have great perspectives on writing at the Right to the Bank that we'll have September 23rd and 24th. I'm going to have Matt Bauer, who's the publisher at Thomas Nelson Publishing, the biggest Christian publisher in the world. And they've handled major people like John Maxwell and John Eldridge and golly, the list goes on and on. But obviously at the top of their game, the publisher, I'm going to have him here. I'm going to have uh, Kent Julian, who has written several books. He's one of our top coaches and how he has leveraged his coaching expertise by writing books. I'm going to have Ken Abraham here. Ken is probably the number one ghostwriter in the world at this point. He writes stories of famous people. So when Senator Frist wants to write a book, Ken Abraham is the one that did that. Joel Osteen, obviously at the top of his game in terms of being a, a worldwide recognized name as a pastor. I mean, Joel or Ken Abraham wrote his book. He wrote Victoria, Joel's wife's book. He is currently, what is he currently working on? Well, he's going to be doing a Tim Tebow book and um, wrote a book with Senator Bob Dole, Chuck Norris, Against All Odds. Those are all books that Ken Abraham wrote. And I'm going to have Ken here for the Right to the Bank seminar. So I love to have people whose area of expertise complements my personal areas of expertise in the same area. So don't be afraid to link arms with people in the health and fitness arena whose skills complement your own. 
Don't be threatened. Don't feel like you're in competition. Link arms with those people. One of the things that has given me a tremendous amount of success as a coach is that particular principle. People used to think, well, gee, if you're a coach, you don't talk to any other coaches in town or tell them your secrets. Well, that comes out of a scarcity mentality, and that just that, that cripples everybody. At the end of the day, nobody's got any eggs in their basket. You'll do have a lot more success by sharing everything you know with other professionals who are doing the same thing you're doing. I mean, I really do believe that. Um, the principle that I talked about earlier, the basic principle of even like Rotary, where you have only one person in any category, that's okay conceptually, but uh, you can have a group that, uh, no, I, I think there's more value in doing it like that, having the diversity, but you could have a group of all physicians or all accountants or all attorneys and still have a lot of overlap in sharing referred business. I mean, I refer the bulk of requests that I get from my personal coaching, I refer to other coaches. That helps them, and it helps me. But I'm happy to do that because I can certainly not handle it all myself. And rather than just turning away business, no, I want to give that to other competent coaches and help them build their practices as well. Well, this comes... uh, This is Dan. I have a book I published. Let's see. The name on this is Ted. Ted says, I have a book I published in 07. And the title of the book is Building a House Day by Day. Now, he's got this available in paperback on Amazon. But Ted says, it's a how-to book. I was wondering what you felt about me making it a ClickBank book. Do you have other suggestions? I haven't pushed the book very much. think it would do better in ClickBank form. Yeah, I think that would be wise to do. And it's not a matter of either or. I think you're wise to have it on Amazon, no question about it. So every time you talk about it, you can send people there. I think you ought to have it available from your own site. I think you ought to have it available on ClickBank and as many other places as you can. Now, what ClickBank does, if you're not familiar with the model, you put your book on there, and then anybody in the world can come there and get that book, put it on their site, they're going to get a little bit of commission as they promote it. So you have the potential of getting a whole lot of people who have material that may complement your building a house day by day concept, and they can put it out there, and then they get a little bit of referral fee, affiliate fee, um, because it goes through ClickBank as an ebook, as a digital download. Yeah, absolutely. I think you ought to do that. I think that's a great model, and I think that'll give you potential for more traction than just having it on Amazon. Now on Amazon, I mean, it's obvious from the numbers that you've got there, which I scrolled down to see that it's not selling well. And it's tough just because it's on Amazon uh, does not mean a book is going to sell. I mean, there are books on Amazon that are going to sell one copy this entire calendar year. You can have it on Amazon, but having it there alone does nothing to drive sales. You have to generate the traffic to send people there. It's just a convenient way for them to purchase it. Dan Sue says, I listen to your podcast while at work instead of listening to music. My question is with the real estate market, the way it is, would it be advisable to get into sales at this time? I'm licensed, but not ready to give up the security of my paycheck and my full-time job, but want and have always wanted to do real estate sales. I've seen local agency at, these advertising for part-time agents. Thanks, Sue in Massachusetts. Well, Sue, uh, frankly, I think it's a great time to get into real estate. Here's why. Knowing that we are in 
a recession or depression or whatever you want to call it, and certainly in a real estate correction where real estate sales are down. I mean, last month they were down 27%, which is major. What that means is that a vast majority of people who are real estate agents are going to read the headlines of the paper and say, oh my gosh, real estate is dead. I'll just let my license go into escrow. They just pay a fee to keep it active, but they don't do anything with it. They're not active agents. So you may have 80% of agents who just become inactive. Well, let's, let's say that business drops 70% of what it normally should be. Let's just take a major hit, it drops 70%. But you have 80% of the real estate, licensed real estate agents who become inactive. That means you now only have 30% of the activity in real estate, but you only have 20% of the previous number of real estate agents that's still going to give you a net increase in activity potential. That's exactly what happens. I mean, if you're running a marathon and you get to mile 25 and there's a great big water truck there and 80% of the runners decide, oh my gosh, I'm dying of thirst, and they go over to the water truck, you know you only have one more mile to go. You just keep going. You just increased your odds dramatically of winning the race. That's what's happening in the real estate arena right now. The way it looks to me, now's a great time to surge forward. Now's a great time to build relationships with banks, mortgage lenders, all those people that you need to have as referrals to build your reputation in the community. And I know real estate agents right now who are knocking it out of the park because there are so many fewer, there are so fewer real estate agents they're competing against. And really... Even in a down market, if you do your job exceptionally well, you're going to do well financially. And I know agents who are doing just that. Same thing is true in construction and mortgage business. I mean, there are people who are singing the blues right now in the mortgage business because sales are so low. Well, rates haven't been this low in years and years and years. I mean, there are 30-year locked-in rates in the 3%. I mean, in the threes, you know, like 3.83. I mean, we haven't had that good grief since Adam roamed the earth. Do you think there are people refinancing homes? So there are people in the mortgage industry right now who are cleaning up, not with new financing deals, but with refinancing of current homeowners. So you can always find your niche of opportunity in an industry, even if the general trend is down in that industry. People often ask me about my business. You know, gee, is this, you know, the downturn helping me or hurting me because I'm selling books? Well, I tell people, you know, if the economy is bad, yeah, it really helps my business. And I tell them in the next breath, if the economy is really good, yeah, that really helps my business. And and it really does. I mean, it's true. No, I'm in maybe a, a unique industry. But if the economy is bad, obviously, there's a whole lot of people scrambling, looking for new opportunities. A lot of people losing jobs, so they're looking for, how can I get a job again? How can I take this opportunity to start my own business? I mean, all of that is certainly true. If the economy is good, people know they're in the driver's seat. I don't have to put up with this crappy job anymore. I can take the initiative and do something on my own. I'm in a better position than I've ever been. So now's the time that I can move into. I've got a little margin. I can move into doing what I really want to do. So it really is true. Whether the economy is good or bad, it helps my business. And we've been doing 
our product sales have just been unbelievable the last 30 days. I mean, I was doing some tallows yesterday. It's like, oh my gosh, I mean, we don't do this and leading into Christmas or January um, because product sales have been that strong. Well, you know what? Boy, I'm going to have to break right there if I want to stay true to my 48 minutes, which I'm going to do. Thanks to your recommendations, we're going to keep it at 48. Just was a very small segment of people who suggested anything other than 48 days. 48 days. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my next product, a 48-day podcast nonstop. Now, 48 minutes works pretty well for me. Thanks for your affirmation and feedback on that. We're going to continue doing that. Again, be reminded you can... Leave a question if you want to at 48days.com forward slash listen or podcast. Please check out the opportunities to join us for one of the live events coming up here at the sanctuary. We'd love to meet you in person, share ideas, break some bread together, and uh, grow together in our own success. Also, if you aren't watching it, we're now over 7,000 people on 48days.net. These are people, now this is not a place to find a job, but these are, this is a place to connect with other people who are taking action on their ideas. They are finding or creating the work that they love. Hope you're doing the same.